Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Ghibliotech the podcast that simply has a wonderful Christmas time with the films of the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Steph Watts. And I'm Jake Cunningham. And we've been enlisted. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake, that's a, that's a kind of sinister thing to suggest. What have we been enlisted into? Well, in a way, we've been enlisted into liking Studio Ghibli films. Uh-huh. Or at least I have, I, I suppose. That's what this whole journey has been between you and me. Um, but it's also a, a, a clue for today's episode um, because it's our Christmas episode. So you would have heard the traditional jingly, jangly version of our opening theme where we put the jingle bells over it. We've done that. <laughs> haven't we Steph yes we have and the editor definitely knows where that jingle is and we'll go away and put it on at the opening of this episode um yes and so we have decided that it is as well as Christmas it is Listmas yes what better way to finish the year than with a bunch of lists as many of our friends and colleagues and peers are going through right now. Uh, We won't debate whether it's good form or mean-spirited to do worst films of the year lists. That's not the forum for that. But we do have lists in mind, both uh, looking back over the entire year, but also unfinished business with our trip to Japan. We said we had a few more things we wanted to talk about. So this listmas, we're going to be talking about our favourite things from the year, as well as our favourite things from Japan as well. So I suppose up top, we should just say we've had a really good year, right? This has been like an unprecedented year in the podcast in terms of having our second trip to Japan, but also a brand new Hayao Miyazaki film on screens in cinemas just before the end of December in the UK, at least. Um, what a what an amazing thing. We could, we, you know, Looking back five years ago, we couldn't have imagined this. I mean, it was mad just on the, the day of recording to be in a WhatsApp group where people are discussing which out of five possible screenings on a certain day do people want to go to the new Hayao Miyazaki film. What a what a time to be alive. <laughs> but yes, Michael, it has been a great, great year. On the, on the podcast, we've done like a, a nice variety of different things here, both on the main feed and in the library cafe. I think we've, I mean, you said we're not going to talk about the worst films that we've seen this year. <laughs> If people do want to hear us dive into the worst films we've seen, there are discussions about, I'm going to say, Super Mario Brothers and Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Oh boy, yes, of course. Why must you remind me? Why must you remind yourself of these films? Um, Yeah, of course, there is the Library Cafe. If you go over to our Patreon, you can hear us talk about those things on a fortnightly basis. But um, let's start... With possibly, certainly that one of the highlights of my year, which was our trip to Japan. I'm going to presume it's a highlight of both your years, although you do live more eventful lives than I do. Um, but we had a handful of other things that didn't fall under the topics of Universal Studios Japan, Ghibli Park, and Ghibli Merch that we wanted to discuss. So we have a couple of headings here. 
before we bid farewell to Japan. Which one should we start with, Jake? Which do you fancy? Um, well, seeing as we are recording late at night mm. and it is the festive season, I feel it's appropriate to start with a wee tipple. <laughs> so should we head into our favourite bars? Now, this was something a bit different because last time we were pretty much like we were workaholics last time we were there and to peek behind the curtain a bit due to some dealings with our former employers we were actually kind of working on uk time in the evenings of japan time so there wasn't much time for um kind of nighttime dalliances with uh lovely bars and that's what we did this time and it was wonderful i'm i think i had two of my favorite actually maybe even three of my favorite ever bar experiences ever during this trip and we were only there for eight days i'm i feel very privileged to have been privy to that then jake i mean i i'm not a bar person at all um so yeah I, I, these are definitely among my favorites as well as not a bar person in the slightest and it's one of those things that um, maybe, listeners, maybe you've been to Japan, you know what the, their bar culture is like, or maybe you've seen it in anime, Japanese TV series or movies, where they have tiny bars, where you can be one of maybe five to ten <laughs> members of the public sitting at the bar, having a one-on-one relationship with the bartender. And um, I know that when we went out there, Jake, you wanted to experience some of that for yourself. I think this list is taking us chronologically through mm. our experiences. So set the scene for our first one. So we open up with Bar 6 Blue in Osaka. And this was more of a, a stumbled upon place where we were on the the way back to our hotel, uh, which was a capsule hotel and a nice little bunk situation for Michael and I. Um and we were just coming back there and I thought it would be nice to go and get a drink. Um, we haven't got anything on the schedule any- for the evening. So let's go and do that. And just quickly brought up on Google Maps the closest bars to the hotel. This thing comes up called Bar 6 Blue. And purely f- through kind of geographic reasons, we ended up there. And one of the kind of most unique drinking experiences I've ever had. Because there was only four seats in this bar. And so we get there, and there's one guy sitting at one end, and the barman, and then three empty seats. It was like, like we were perfectly situated. It was like um, we were we were called to this bar at this exact moment. And this this business guy who was wearing a suit. I'm assuming he was into his business. He had this amazing contraption that allowed him to smoke indoors without blowing a pool of smoke. And it seemed it looked like it had a condenser at the end of a cigarette. It looked amazing, amazing bit of kit. Um, and we got old fashions from this quiet but very talented bartender who also was cooking along the side and just made a little plate of noodles for this other man. And Michael, I think that's the first time I've seen you enjoy a cocktail. I mean, enjoy as in I drank it. I'm not sure I fully enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm not really a drinker. And this is, I guess this is certainly the first instance of peer pressure I've experienced in the last 20 years of my life. But not, <laughs> a, not, no not an entire... Pressure. You didn't have to have a drink. <laughs> not you an entirely unwelcome one. Well, no, I suppose it felt very fitting for the moment because that bar didn't have soft drinks on offer. It was very much a, what are you drinking? Here are the cocktails situation. So when in, when, when in Japan, let's try it. And it was nice. And yeah, what was your take on the old-fashioned stuff? Loved it. It was great. I'm not really knowledgeable about cocktails. So I think we just said, fancy something with whiskey in it. What's the first drink that came to mind? Oh, an old-fashioned. And then, yeah, he made this amazing drink. Um making all of the kind of sugar syrup mixture at the bottom properly instead of pouring out like pouring it out of a bottle um yeah it was really it's a really like pleasant experience to just watch the mm. barman make the drink 
um in one in one go in front of you rather than just pouring it out of a bottle um and i guess well, I yeah i mean i feel like we did because we had a whiskey sour afterwards after a couple of old fashions um so they were quite strong but i think it does make you appreciate the drink more if you see it be made in kind of excruciating detail in front of you was was my second drink the sour or was there yours a, was a, yeah because he mixed up the drinks didn't he yeah yes and then you went off and steph and i had one more um but what i love about these small bars is that that's the owner as well a lot of the time the guy behind the bar who's making all the drinks who's doing the cleanup because it's such a small space it's clear it's almost like it, this amazing vocational thing this total commitment to the craft of drink making and service in all aspects it was amazing and then the next night we had bar ixi in kyoto which was a slightly larger place which was maybe 10 seats yeah and that was one Huge of those places it made me think we since coming back we we've rewatched paprika on the big screen and there's a, there's the sort of dream bar in that film mm. with the two bartenders and that's one where they have a sort of row of seats at the bar and then a little room to the side and that was the the setup with Ixie, wasn't it it was like maybe five six people at the bar and then a sort of square table for four or five by the side mm. and whilst our our first barman was a that kind of a kind of stoic cool quiet customer this guy had a sense of the theatrical about him and there was drinks going that had liquid nitrogen involved and he was really excited to talk people through every drink michael you had a non-alcoholic cocktail that Mm -hmm. had been made with a local spirit or non-alcoholic spirit liqueur type thing and like this guy's passion for what he was doing was amazing like through like this and other bar trips I, I came back and was like immediately i'm doing cocktails i want to do more cocktails i want to learn and this guy made me a martini that was amazing basically just in both bars going for some real classic testers it's like the margarita pizza equivalent it was like right old-fashioned martini just want to play us the hits and yeah. did it so well yeah and I, I suppose what was great about ixi was um even though it was a long uh, it, was, it was off a long um street that had eateries and bars on it it was still nevertheless upstairs in a building so you're sort of going up these you know stairs going along tiled corridors and turn a corner and then it's just this bar there's this bar door with a little notice in the window you open it up and you're suddenly in this very cozy space it feels like you've stumbled on something it doesn't announce Mm. itself on the main street yeah they do give you the feeling that you're about to just go into somebody's front room by accident mm. and then you suddenly yeah open this door and there's a whole bar behind it yeah it's an amazing amazing way to to do bars i remember saying to steph after this bar that when i get home i want to make a, a like a speakeasy club in my front room <laughs> where everyone will chip in a fiver and i'll like get some really nice alcohol and make people cocktails and it'll be cheaper than going to the pub and it'll be a better vibe because <laughs> it'll be like this but nothing could be like this i think ixi is my my favorite experience drinking Ever. perhaps bar none <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that was a great one we had quite a different experience in nagoya where we went mm. we went for a nice shop and we went for some food and we went back to our our hotel which had about what 52 floors or something and thought <laughs> let's go let's go check out the bar right on the top floor we'll get some amazing views um and that was absolutely massive maybe something a bit more in line with what what we're used to seeing in terms of bars but it did have a very pleasant jazz singer and pianist which was lovely um a lot of businessmen doing deals beside us uh, but also some interesting drinks um, and they had like a halloween menu on offer when we were there but and that was a rare place that had diet coke for me as well to wind <laughs> down in the evening but the view was incredible um music was fun i loved the little conversations we overheard in that place there was definitely somebody talking about turnover and buyouts and stock uh, i I think i saw a handshake accompanied with let's make it happen (laughs) (laughs) we were there with all our like backpacks and shopping (laughs) but there was also some um some fun had in trying to secure a very nice table as well which was 
which was a, a bit of fun and it felt very British mm-hmm. and a bit impolite where we were sat kind of one row away from the edge of the building, which is where the big kind of panoramic windows are. And we had noticed a table leave and that there was an empty table that could seat three but it was on the other side of the bar (laughs) when we did have all of our stuff and I did feel like such a tourist thinking like yeah 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 come on let's do it let's do it let's do it and then just try and sneak our way over but we did end up with that lovely view it was fantastic that whole Nagoya central station structure is enormous like down into the depths and all the way to the top and sprawling out just just absolutely massive yeah and even though we're in far from the biggest city in the country at that point that view is really one where it's street lights as far as you can see as far as the naked mm. eye can see and there are very few places in the uk that you could go where you have that view completely filled with urban sprawl wherever you look even somewhere in London, you'd be able to see, you know, where the city ends from mm. a rooftop bar. That was, um, yeah, it was really something. I guess it's the closest we get. Maybe if we go back to Tokyo, I know everyone that we speak to who goes to Tokyo says you've got to go to the bar that's in Lost in Translation. I suppose this is the experience that's closest to that mm. on our trip. Now, we haven't actually talked about uh, uh, <laughs> any Ghibli stuff yet. And perhaps this is an opportunity to bring the conversation back to the Ghibli Park. We did do a whole episode on it, but I think we were always going to revisit it at some point. And there is the Porco Rosso restaurant and the gelato place outside where you can actually eat and drink actual food. But if you want to drink some imaginary drinks inside Ghibli's Grand Warehouse, there is a bar with a certain large fluffy barman that was a real highlight of the tour. There's a great photo of, of, of us sitting as if Totoro was doing his magic, shaking us up a cocktail. I mean, that begs the question, what cocktail would Totoro be shaken up, I suppose? Well, I think our, our next bar really answers that question, doesn't it, Michael? I think it does. <laughs> so set this one up for us. I know that I think this is another highlight of, of the trip for you, isn't it, Jake? Well, I think this is... I, like as a as a piece of kind of touristic invention is amazing like perfectly like capturing exactly what the three of us would want out of a drinking experience considering we're out there on a big film research trip um we had heard about a bar called the whales of august from friend of the pod hannah strong and uh, she said that this is a film themed cocktail bar and we looked it up in advance and you read these great things saying that the barman prides himself on his film knowledge. <laughs> He's seen 20,000 films and can make you a cocktail related to any of them. And we got there and being the Ghibli fans that we are, we tasked him and the staff with giving us some Ghibli cocktails and they did a remarkable job. Uh, but I, Steph, I do think, although my Porco Rosso was very nice, and the Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind was great. It was the boy and the heron that was the standout, right? It, it was... From, it from was a artistic good. perspective yes. rather than a flavour perspective. It was very perspective. nice to look at. I will say, yeah, in terms of the the drinks, there was a lot of, like, sweet li- liqueur-type drinks going around, I guess because they have to, you know, there's a lot of colours involved. And But, yeah, the boy and the heron drink was, like, a piece of art. It was amazing. And it even had, like... A cocktail stick with a cherry on the end that was shaped like a little arrow to represent like Mahito's arrow that he shoots at the heron. It was amazing. Like the level of kind of little details that they went into to actually make this drink related to the film was great. Crucially, this was an off menu item that was entirely improvised Mm. in the moment. Like we were not presented with all of these various Ghibli options. I think Naushika was the only one that was actually on a list. Yeah. I mean, the list was quite long in itself. You, you handed a um, well as you're going in. There are sort of menu displays that are just film titles and film posters. And then when you sit down, they hand you a menu, but it also has a list which is like triers. We'll improvise something. And it was yeah, very fun to see the cocktail 
essentially be like you know the the, the color scheme and everything responding to the film did i have a whisper of the heart so i had yeah you did yeah um, and you did you order a good morning as well jake and ozu an ohio and ohio yeah. yeah 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 and um by the the kind of lingering one from that experience was the porco rosso which when i got back started kind of thinking about what it might be and um because we asked what was in there and I couldn't remember exactly, but I knew there was red vermouth and whiskey in there. So I think it was a a variation on a Rob Roy. And now at home I've got into drinking Rob Roy's. (laughs) And it's, it's just, it is the way to get a teetotal like me buying loads of drinks because I've just pulled up the picture of the menu here. And it's like, you know, I'd love to see what a My Fair Lady is and how that compares to a Chicago versus the Dances with Wolves or maybe a Parasite. (laughs) How does that compare to a Birdman? And then it just keeps going on and on and on. And what's great is that once we said that we were interested in films, we were writers, we gave them a a sort of flyer postcard of the film career book. Um, And then, Jake, you almost, they were almost like adopting you as an apprentice, weren't they? They gave you like their little zine of cocktails. And it's like volume 37 of the Wales of August zine. And I've been flicking through it. And amazingly, the Spirited Away cocktail is in there. Um, unfortunately it is all in Japanese so I'll have to get the old Google Translate out Um, but there's loads of cocktails in there and obviously loads of smaller Japanese releases that haven't crossed our path in there too Um, but just amazing commitment to this idea and amazing execution Uh, brilliant brilliant work Mm. Um, should we should we move away from bars should we should we stay within the world of the culinary arts oh let's go for it so this is Again, I don't want to make it seem that all you care about is booze and food, Jake, but this is another area that you put a lot of research <laughs> into before we went out, which is where to eat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the Google map, the custom Google maps that was made for this trip, it initially had kind of humble beginnings. And then by like the day before we had flown out, I realised it had climbed to like 96 locations <laughs> in total. Um and food is obviously incredibly important. I think we'd be doing uh, Ghibli and the podcast a disservice if we weren't treating our food with respect Absolutely. in this way. Um, but first up came uh, Okonomiyaki in Hiroshima. And we had got to Hiroshima from Osaka. And there is a divide between Osaka and Hiroshima about how to make Okonomiyaki and which is the best. And then in Hiroshima... We had found out that there was basically a department store where every shop sold the same thing. And that thing was Okonomiyaki. And one of these stalls had a Michelin star. Um, Or had been Michelin highlighted. I I can't remember exactly how they phrased it. Um, But I thought, oh, well, that one will have a massive queue because it's the one. And then even if we... Like even if there's a massive queue, we can at least get something from one of these other stores and then we've eaten this thing. And then we get there and there's seats. And uh, it's again, it's like Bar 6 Blue where there are three seats right at the front of the store and we can just park ourselves down. And much like watching the barman do the drinks, an amazing piece of craft to watch. Just like hypnotizing, I thought. This was fantastic. Yeah, the way they cook it is amazing. So you basically sit around a huge hot plate um, that goes all the way around the bar and then you watch the chef who's behind it kind of, I think, put some batter down and then cook some pork on or like whatever you want in it, put some noodles in, put loads of bean sprouts in, crack an egg over it, flip it over. Like it's just amazing and it's all done on this kind of one flat plate. And when it's all cooked... I think we ordered some gyoza as well and he just put them Mm. straight on the hot plate. Yeah, it was great. Um, And then, yeah, once it's kind of cooked enough, they just shuffle it down Mm. the hot plate to where you're sitting so it stays hot and you can just break off pieces to eat. Um, I think we definitely over-ordered. There was a lot. (laughs) It was great, though. Um, (laughs) What an experience. What a way to eat. I was very happy with that. I'd I'd had Okonomiyaki before, but I hadn't had Hiroshima style, which is where it has the noodles in, or the sort of more crispier noodles. Uh, And that was, yeah, really great texture, mouthfeel to it. 
Uh, that was that was fab. I mean, yeah, we were very full after that. I needed to sort of walk it off all the way back to the station. But um, following that, so that's Hiroshima, which is when we were based in Osaka. Then I guess Kyoto was a big food place for us, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it began early with the with the hotel breakfast. And this was the, out of all the hotels we stayed in, this was the only one which kind of gave us the option for a quote-unquote traditional Japanese breakfast. And one of us might have slept in and missed it. Looking Best at you, sleep Michael. I've ever had, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but Steph and I, Steph and I got up for this, and this was by a long stretch the best breakfast I'd had uh, in Japan. It was beautiful. You just had this lovely bowl of rice, some some fish, and then this amazing grid of nine little bowls that each had various pickles and little bits of, of grilled meat. And even some fruit in there as well. And so you were just able to kind of mix and match on this big tray of different items. And it was so satisfying and so varied and all complimentary. Just one of the one of the best breakfasts for sure. Yeah, it was great. And everything was like, yeah, like you say, kind of one little mouthful. But like one grape, but it was the best grape you've probably <laughs> ever tasted. Like it was, yeah, it was really really something something to start your day with and i think we went back for the buffet the next day and just tried to recreate whatever we'd had in this kind of lovely presented breakfast the day before but yeah that was great that was my moment where i was like maybe i should start eating this way for breakfast all the time obviously that has not happened when i have to make breakfast for myself (laughs) but yeah that was great eating eating a little salmon for breakfast was very special very nice yeah, that, that that hotel breakfast, because of course I went back the next day and had the buffet, which I suppose they they said they'd reintroduced the buffet because they'd taken it away during COVID and you know social distancing kind of times. That's why they went back to a table service. But I, did, I feel like I missed out on something on the presentation side at least, but it was still a really nice breakfast. But, mm. So am I right in thinking that you had that amazing breakfast and then also had an amazing dinner that evening? Because this is one of the ones that you'd queued up jake yeah. as, a, as a must visit eatery. well this was this was why we were up so early to get this breakfast was because this was like the most logistics that went into a meal a place called uh hikaniku tokome uh which i had seen on instagram and um this is a place that i mean the simplest way of putting it it's a beef patty on a bed of rice And that's the one thing that they do, and they do it incredibly well. Um, But they don't take reservations over the phone or online. You have to queue up at the restaurant on the morning that you want to go and then get essentially like a a deli counter ticket to come back later. And we'd heard that it will be full by 9am. So we get there at 8 and join the queue there's probably about 10 people in front of us and get our table for 8 p.m that night and they do say on the advert we prefer even numbered bookings (laughs) and we are of course an odd number so then we returned at 8 p.m and basically start to wait another hour (laughs) to get in because we had to wait for there to be a space for three people to sit next to each other but we got there right at the end of the day we even saw them cleaning down and everything but again going back to the craft like with the okonomiyaki it is this small beef patty cooked over these flames but just watching this one guy manage it all where you can see him absolutely constantly almost like like a conductor moving his hand back and forth from the flames and the patties constantly gauging the level of heat to get them to be absolutely perfect and then just plonks them in front of you one at a time so you don't get all three at once he'll see right you've got your rice everyone gets one free egg to use as they like and then your patty goes in front of you there are various pickles and sauces to use however you like there's a recommendation say right patty one just have it with the rice really taste the meat 
and then from there move on to the other sources and just the service this is kind of recurring theme throughout these things it's like the service is unparalleled where you're not even thinking about like oh i'm a bit hungry or where's the next patty coming from like this guy's already clocked it and so you've finished one you're having a bit of conversation and then the, the magic trick of you turn around and there he is he's placing it right in front of you the next patty is here carry on enjoy um yeah fantastic fantastic dining experience i i, I really loved it um and this and maybe one of the other ones we're going to talk about they've been very hard to describe to people because what you're saying it's like a burger on rice <laughs> but it, there's such a good burger and it, what was really good was that that human touch where he'd come over and say oh with this one try one of these try this other spice or try this other dressing try this instead for this one and it would feel just a bit much more organic and much more catered for yourself um, rather than just grabbing a burger from a van not that I'd ever think this to say this in the same league. That was that that was really special. Um, but from Kyoto, we moved uh, moved over to Nagoya, and we mentioned the bar at the top of the building. Uh, one of our favourite dining experiences in Nagoya was at the bottom of that same building, the train station. <laughs> and uh, it's it would be rude not to go and get a pork cutlet whilst we were there in Japan and. We found yabaton miso katsu, a particular way of doing katsu with a certain sauce that's local to Nagoya. This is not like a uh, like a katsu curry sauce. It's kind of slightly redder, slightly more sour. It's got a kind of Worcester quality to it, but it's like not just like a really, not really. like a katsu sauce where it's kind of spread around. It kind of like soaked into mm. everything a little bit, right? Because they came and poured it over mm. in front of us, um, which gave it quite like a showmanship quality for like a, a little train station diner. Yeah. Um, did, didn't yeah, didn't so. the didn't the guy have like a flourish when he did that? Well, I think didn't. we were all quite excited to be eating, weren't we? So every time they brought something over, we kind of were like. Yes, and then as he was pouring, he also said, "Yes," <laughs> like as he was going round. I think yeah. he just caught our excitement to be eating. Um, but yeah, this was great. I had like a a normal, not a normal, but I had a single kind of katsu piece. You guys had like a half and half, fifty fifty. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was that sauce, and then something that was explicitly called their Worcestershire sauce mm. dressing as well. Um, really, and then nice. just cabbage on the side. Mm. Which like shredded and with the with the heat from the cutlet is kind of getting ever so slightly cooked as well. Just yeah, really really lovely and like this is obviously the equivalent of a subway or a pret that you'd like get in an emergency in a train station and it's this amazing delicious good value meal. Mm. And yeah. I got it with a whiskey highball, which is another drink that I realised I really like. Yeah, and I suppose that that's what that connects it to the next place as well. It, it, they're, they're really high class, but you can just wander in and eat. Um, and again, this last place was by the time we got to Tokyo and we had lunch. You had it on the list. Great name, Bon Grill in Tokyo, and it was. And another really hard one for me to explain. Maybe I'll hand over to you, Jake, because you're a wannabe food critic. <laughs> Beef cutlet sandwiches. Oh, yeah. But the nicest beef cutlet sandwiches you've ever eaten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, a, a, like, ever so slightly rare in the middle, deep fried, or, like, that might be deep, might be shallow fry, um, beef cutlet. And beef would be not particularly common mm. compared to pork. Um, so, a bit different. And then placed within just lovely soft pillowy white bread like babies the crusts have been cut off for us <laughs> and then we got in there and they said right so the standard you can get the standard which is two sandwiches or the half and we were kind of i mean i'm a bit hungry and then thought oh if they're cutting the crusts off probably two yeah two will be all right 
and then it's laid out on the plates for us and it's massive (laughs) (laughs) and there's a bit of mustard on the side for dipping but it's like the um like the hikaniku takome burger and rice doing one thing and doing it better than you've ever had before and just that consistency and the bit just again we're just watching people do it just cutting the crusts off or doing the breading whatever it might be and again so satisfying this was the most full that i've been as well because i thought i was really full and then steph had some bits on her plate <laughs> and i was like do you want these and it looks so good still <laughs> yeah <laughs> this kind of had to be rolled out of there <laughs> and we still had loads of stuff to do that afternoon <laughs> but yeah i think this was my favorite just oh really yeah incredible beef sandwich like not something that i'm gonna make for myself mm. so it's just really something that is super special that you mm. can't really achieve i don't think yeah I'm, I'm dreaming of this of that meal and ever since i think the bread was ever so slightly toasted mm. um and in a way yeah, they that had meant... about four toasters on the side where they were just toasting bread and i've I've started slightly toasting my sandwich my my bread before making a sandwich now because it just gives it that extra little bit of firmness but not crisp crispiness and what's great as we as we said about all these is it's all being prepared right in front of you there's no they're not hiding anything away they're there behind mountains of loaves of bread (laughs) uh, cooking this stuff up and it's just always a treat to see that um see that food before you eat it yeah all right um before we move on to crib from uh guest of the podcast ed gamble's uh little known off menu podcast to steal some wordplay from them we should do some honorable munchions uh so little bits of food that we loved um didn't make it into the top five steph do you want to kick us off with yours yeah my my honorable munchion was a very nice grilled eel that jake me and you shared uh in the kyoto uh, Nishiki market, the kind of long covered food market. Um, oh, it was amazing. I think I paid, for, it was about 200 yen, 100 yen. It was quite cheap, but I paid for it with all my pennies because I was trying to get rid of all my change. Um, I think quite annoyed the guy. But yeah, I have, I've only really had like jellied eels. It's like a Londoner thing and they're disgusting. Um, so this was a bit of a like, I'm going to try some eel just to see how it is. And it was lovely because it was just cooked on a little kind of grill in front of you and you just had to pull it off a stick. It was very kind of mackerel-y, very meaty in a way. But yeah, that was lovely. That was a big surprise, I think, that then stuck with me, that it was super nice. Yeah, I loved the eel. Um, I think I was expecting it to be rubbery Mm. um, and it wasn't at all. It was more like... Uh, as you said, a mackerel-y flavour, but with more of a chicken texture. Mm. But then it had been kind of last minute, had the um, torch put over a kind of sweet and perhaps miso-y glaze that had been put on top to give it this lovely kind of crisp caramelised topping too. Oh, delish. <laughs> Michael? My honourable mention, I think I might have mentioned this when we went to Japan last time, the McGriddle, <laughs> which really set us up on a couple of very early starts. It's like a McMuffin, but instead of a muffin, it's pancakes. <laughs> so it's got that extra sweetness with your, with your Pan- breakfast. Pancakes that have been injected with syrup. Oh, and yes. Oh, absolutely gorgeous. I wish I could have all those calories every day. I also want to do a shout out. What was, what was the name of the um, curry chain we went to in Tokyo? Like late night curry one one evening. Coco. Oh, Coco yeah. was it? And we sat down, and I don't I don't, don't recall this, seeing this before, but the spice scale, and being ever so slightly baffled, but kind of a kind of uh, intrigued by the, how high the spice scale goes. And after a certain point, maybe eight out of twenty. It says, are you really sure you want to go this spicy? You've got to get a sign-off from a staff member before you can order higher than that spice. I think I had like a three spice and that blew my head off. <laughs> but I'm I'm curious to go back and see. And what's yours, Jake? Oh, um, so my one for the Ghibli Museum, miso chocolate ice cream. 
from the Porco Rosso gelato place. Absolutely delicious. But then just in terms of sheer satisfaction, uh, first night after an incredibly long flight getting into the capsule hotel and I've got my Lawson bowl of chicken noodles with some croquettes on the side and just crawling into that bed and eating that and feeling kind of warm and cosy in my bunk bed knowing I'm safe sleeping above Michael eating my noodles (laughs) delightful dining all right let's get away from food because I know Steph hasn't eaten at the time of recording. Yeah, this is, this is rough for me, thinking about all this lovely food. All right, um, so we've covered Universal Studios. We've covered Ghibli Park. We've covered our food, our drinks. So let's quickly rattle through our five other miscellaneous favourite experiences. Oh, can I go first? So this is uh, chronologically, um, we're in Kyoto. Can't remember what day this would have been. Third day of the trip, um, we went to the manga museum, which is something that I had very high on my list because we love a museum, uh, we, and and we love manga, so why not go? But I heard that it's a particularly uh, inspiring way of communicating the power and craft of manga to the world, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. This this museum was definitely worth going uh, going out of your way to see. What's great about it is that it's a working library. Along with your your daily ticket, you can spend as long as you want and look at any of the thousands of books they have lining the walls of the main reading rooms. They have a, a central exhibition as well that tries to get its get its head around the history of manga, what it exactly is, the growth of manga, the history of it, how it's printed, how it's made, all the way up to its growth and boom its relationship with anime and video games and then it's sort of global appreciation as well um that was really great to see and i you know you're not supposed to take pictures there but if i could there were some displays that i would have loved to take pictures of i remember one which tried to use a sort of illustrated flowchart method to get around how poor manga artists are because even if they have a hit they um, need to share their, their their profits with so many links along the chain. So there may, may be an artist or creator who has to share it with their stable of art assistants and then the publisher and the distributor and the store take all these cuts. And it's done as, I think, it was a glass of wine. As like they, You may <laughs> think that they're rich with this huge overflowing glass of wine profits, but then everyone else takes a sip before they can at the end. I loved that stuff. And also being in a room with the highlights of the entire history of manga lining the walls, going over and trying to find all of these copies of various um, various series, various collections, like the Nauschka and so on, really wonderful to do. And they have some other amazing things as well. They invite artists from around the world, but also mainly Japanese artists there. And they do a couple of things. They have sketches along the walls they do plaster casts of the artist's hands as they are holding their pen all of the um all of the actual information around those plaster casts are only in japanese so it's an extra test of your knowledge of the artist's signature art style whether you can um spot the art they're doing and that even extended to the cafe outside the museum where the actual literal walls had been doodled on by visiting artists. It was just so... I could have spent all day there. We were on a real sort of time limit, cramming stuff in, in, in uh, while we were there. But they even had... Oh, they had a section of translated comics from around the world, which was really fun to see. I loved the fact that the word for um, English language comics is gaiman, which is maybe amusing to fans of graphic novels and comics from the English language world because to many Neil Gaiman is first and foremost one of the great writers in the, in, term, in the sort of graphic novel era of comics and seeing what um, comics they deemed as worthy of st- stocking in their manga museum was really cool. They had several volumes of Luke Pearson's Hilda series uh, there and they had Adrian Tomine's uh, work as well. That was just really fab and considering how 
we've talked before about how in the UK at least there's this sort of tension or frustration around how to communicate comics or animation and all of these areas how to communicate that to a broader wider mainstream audience and so it's just wonderful to go to a place where they they do it they do a really good job of it in a way that it is is inviting weird and idiosyncratic and eccentric but also a real celebration at the same time i mean you've covered it extremely well there michael i'm I'm not entirely sure (laughs) i've got much else to add i I did like also knowing that knowing like the history of the building as well because i know it's like a point used um as a hospital and uh, as an educational space and there was a a nice kind of mini find your own adventure section of about the history of stickers which (laughs) is a a nice little addition for the little ones that were roaming around this place but yes absolutely lovely really really amazing place um now we should we can kind of roll the next two into each other because they're almost connected to the same experience of just having a lovely wander around kyoto and so the morning that Steph and I got up early to go and get our table booking, we went for a walk around kind of back streets or historic streets of Kyoto. And this was really lovely because we were genu- it was like as the sun was coming up and you could see Kyoto Tower just as it was starting to catch the light. And the kind of every so often you could see more and more groups of tourists that were joining the pilgrimage up the hill. And we were heading towards this, this big temple. And it was quite amazing to get up there and have that site that you've seen so many times of just the, the huge orange gates kind of screeching up into the sky across this perfect blue sky and the forest in the background. And we went up there and it was quiet and there was kind of little groups of people. And we had to wander around, realised that we didn't quite have the time to give it a full exploration and if we needed to get back in time to make our dinner booking. But it's quite fun that just in that space of time of the, the sun coming up and doing the walk and coming back down again, starting to see the school trips emerge as well. Mm-hmm. And then by the time that we had come down the hill, Kyoto seemed to have woken up and there was traffic and people. And it was really, really lovely to be in a city at that early hour um, and feel mm-hmm. that you're in, you are in a in a large city, but in an old section of a city and kind of walking around it uh i know it's not how it once was but there was a sense of kind of walking back in time a bit as well yeah i think especially before everything was opening up um just that that walk over to that first shrine was very peaceful and we walked through a lot of parks and yeah then by the time we came back down everything was kind of bursting into life a little bit so that was our kind of peaceful shrine visit where there weren't many people around and then in the afternoon, we squeezed in another big shrine with a mountain involved. We went to the uh, Fushimi Inari Temple, which was, I think it's known as like the Temple of 10,000 Gates or something. So it has it has loads, thousands and thousands of these kind of orange Tori gates um, going from the bottom of the mountain all the way up to the summit um, with kind of little shrines um along the way so we got there about 4 p.m i think we thought we could squeeze this one in see a nice sunset from the top because there's supposed to be this amazing view um and i think our tour went a little bit sideways on this one because we started (laughs) kind of going up walking up the normal route realized it was very very crowded um as kyoto we have been warned by a lot of sites that kyoto gets super super crowded if you go anywhere past like 8 a.m um so we kind of we took this little side path. We were like, yeah, this looks like a good shortcut. There's no one there. Um, let's just go this way. And then ended up kind of avoiding the big, very clearly signposted paths signed by all of these orange gates and just went up this kind of weird back <laughs> back path up the mountain, which actually was super, super beautiful. I think we actually got quite a good deal out of it by deciding to go up this path we went through this kind of really nice like bamboo 
forest area. We saw a lot of other little shrines that we wouldn't have seen. Jake tried to stop to go to the loo in a place that looked a little bit like we were going to get murdered, so decided against it. I think we had a great time. And also, I think the highlight experience of my trip, when we got very near the top of the mountain, we started going up a lot of very steep stairs, and it was just these steps all the way to the top. We were we were getting tired. It was almost sunset. We were kind of trudging up these steps, and we stopped a little bit for a rest, and then... From out of nowhere, this very old woman came absolutely pacing it down the steps, just running down these steps, uh, and then paused to chastise us, particularly Michael. <laughs> <laughs> he was bringing up the rear. He, yeah, to be fair, he was. Um, kind of stopped and said to Michael, how old are you? I'm 79 or whatever she was. She was, she was doing great. Um, she was going downhill to be fair <laughs> she had momentum on her side no I I, I, I I loved that alternate route even though I hated it at the time at the time of those steep steps it, <laughs> it, re- it kind of showed how quickly when you're somewhere like that you may be in the thick of the most touristy cramped densely populated place and then just take a little movement you know round the, round, round the side and then you'll have literally inches from the top of your head dense webbing of the biggest scariest spiders you've ever seen above you which i became a bit obsessed with (laughs) the next day we went to the the popular bamboo grove tourist destination and i think all three of us would say that our backwards route up the mountain actually gave us a better bamboo grove than the one that everyone's at anyway yeah, it felt much more remote and much more like you were in the thick of nature. And that also sense of being a little bit lost, which is quite hard mm-hmm. to do when you're on a holiday like this. It did feel for a little bit like we were lost. Mm-hmm. But then we were, you know, the, our, our prize at the end of that was the incredible view at the top mm-hmm. um, at just the right moment to catch sundown as the sky is becoming this beautiful orange shade seeing the city stretched out in front of us yeah it was amazing and we should say everything we've mentioned about kyoto in this episode we did all of that in one day (laughs) the breakfast the early morning shrines the manga museum the fushimi inari the bar and the uh the burgers that was all one day so i think we did pretty well to climb i'm I'm so proud of our itinerary like (laughs) When people have said, oh, how is Japan? My, my kind of default is, you know, we did 210,000 steps in seven days. <laughs> my, my, my kind of that is five cities in seven days. Yeah. yeah. I think most of that was the, uh, the steps at the end of that. The, 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 dis- the only disappointment, and I, I was probably tempting some horrible fate, is uh, we didn't see any of the um, dangerous monkeys that apparently roam yeah. the area at night or the wild boar. <laughs> <laughs> but we did see the Nintendo building. Yeah, off in the distance, we could spot it. Just that was, yeah, that was great. Um, and we, you know, we went on a more pleasurable walk, perhaps in the evening light or the post sundown lack of light, the darkness um, in Tokyo in the Himariki Gardens nighttime walk, which I think we had a bit of confusion over, right? Because I think we'd we'd heard it was a parade. Mm. And we thought there would be a parade, but little did we know we were part of the parade <laughs> mm. by going and enjoying one of a series of evening walks around this park that's right in the middle of Tokyo as the evenings draw in in the winter. And I think, and you get stamps for every trip. And this was, was this the last of them? Because I guess it's all mm. happening across the autumn m- months. And it was really wonderful walking through this beautiful these beautiful gardens with other people who are clearly making time in their day to do this you go around a big lake in the middle and as we were walking in there was a boat with a band on it that were playing some music floating towards us it was wonderful i think the uh the purpose of the walk in that particular place was to observe the moon which in that week was particularly huge yeah. and bright um and obviously you could see it from anywhere but yeah to kind of fill out this or kind of to block out this 
space of the park and open it at night specifically so that you could walk around and just get a good view of the moon from a good kind of vantage point was really really lovely i thought it was um yeah and amazing kind of urban planning on the park side to make that feel even though you're looking at the moon quite an intimate occasion because mm-hmm. on the like we essentially walked there next to a motorway surrounded yeah. by high rises <laughs> and office buildings like very much a metropolitan space but through the kind of careful placement of trees and the arranged way that you walk around this park all of a sudden that disappears you can hear it but you kind of tune out of that and you once you focus in on the music this band is playing and the atmosphere of everyone it does disappear it was quite a that was a bit of a surprise that activity um but it felt like um yeah it ended up being quite a moving experience in a in a strange way despite i think thinking that we could enter the park from one bit and then having mm. to walk like yeah. you say alongside the motorway the full the length of the park <laughs> practically running side. to catch the band starting but it's 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 not yes another example of that thing that defined a lot of the trip for us which is you're in the middle of one of the most densely populated countries on the planet or in tokyo biggest cities on the planet yet you can have these small intimate moments that if that happened in somewhere like london it would be mobbed by people full of rubbish being strewn everywhere people would be taking the piss with it everyone just feels like they're pulling in the same direction in terms of enjoying this and enjoying the specificity and sanctity of it it's um really wonderful and speaking of like surprises and strange very perhaps very japanese things we had that couple of hours didn't we because we, we when we were planning the trip we thought that the saturday when we were flying back we essentially in our head thought okay that's our day for flying back but then our flight was so late in the evening that we essentially had a whole day in tokyo to ourselves before even having to think about going to the airport so we thought about what could we do and we fell upon a very strange idea for a museum, but a really brilliant one, which is Small Worlds, the Miniatures Museum in Tokyo, which, I, I yeah, an, a, a real surprise, but a highlight for me. Yeah, I had a great time with this. Um, yeah, because I think it was just something that we didn't really expect to do until the night before. We thought, let's let's go check it out. It looks fun. Um And yeah, just got to experience a lot of kind of miniature worlds with a lot of kind of sci-fi and imagination carved out. It wasn't just that you were looking at a perfect recreation of Tokyo or a city. It was like, here's the NASA space station, but also here's what it could look like 300 years in the future. Like, it was great. I had such a great time. (laughs) I felt like such a child here. It was brilliant, perhaps more so than at the theme parks. Like, it was... (laughs) just wonderful like the the invention and the dedication there and it was great that you get to kind of tour the workshop where all this stuff gets made as well and they really celebrate Mm. all the artists making it happen but you could just you just spent hours here with a magnifying glass looking at the detail that's gone into so much of it it's amazing like we did have to they're like the the discovery shuttle goes off every 15 minutes and it's like okay set a timer on our phone we have to be back to watch the shuttle go off and then they gave us a like a, there was like a treasure hunt which was definitely for kids but obviously we're all doing the treasure hunt and so in every diorama there were some treasure chests that you've got to find and oh man it was all very beautiful and theatrical whilst being so kind of minute and like innocent at the same time but once we got past the space world and the kind of pan european train tour place uh we got into well we 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 did go through a sailor moon area sailor moon's equivalent of tokyo with lots of references to the series in there that pan european thing was like half fantasy harry potter and half Mm. jules verne sci-fi as well with so much detail and as you walk through you're passing through these various phases and very subtly moving between the areas and then yes we, we we were then greeted with a scale reimagining of the terminal at the Kansai airport that we landed in when we when we 
arrived in Japan and you could actually crawl through little tunnels and come up in the middle of the runway as you both did um, and see the planes go on a circuit and they actually have departure boards showing where these planes are going and what airlines they're from. And that's actually kind of an excuse to have a rest area because they had all of the, these like benches that were supposed to be for the departures lounge where people could sit and have a drink, which is very sweet. But then I suppose for some people, the main event would be the final main area, which is the Neon Genesis Evangelion themed area, which, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd read about, but we weren't really prepared for how amazing <laughs> and dorky <laughs> that section would be. Like, yeah, that was great. Oh, man. Because you got to go... First off, you could see all of the Avas kind of underground before they're kind of sent out to, to fight. Um, so all of the countdowns of that happening. Um, and then you kind of go into a different room and there's the whole of Tokyo 3, which rises and descends on a timer. Just fantastic. What a light show. Yeah, and yeah, it's a it's a day night cycle, and it has like a mock mocked up, um, you know, soir you know, sortie with you know an angel and a, an Eva going on. But then, in the foreground that you walk around is an actual mock up of the city with all of the locations, like the school they go to, the apartments they live in, all that. With if you really look very closely, references to very specific episodes and moments throughout um, throughout the series. Again. I think absolute catnip for fans of that show and there are some hardcore fans out there and even for, for people who've watched and enjoyed the show if we, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily characterise myself as a hardcore fan I was still very excited by the little details here and it's that strange mix isn't it of full commitment that, that, you know, to the craft and the details and full sincerity in what they're doing but also it's quite dorky as well and there was one aspect which was not so related to the, the Evangelion se sequence but um, made it clear afterwards when we read up on the place there were these strange mascots all the way through these sorts of fleshy aliens that, that were in all of the all of the areas and then we found out at the end that it was the mascot for the sausage manufacturing company that <laughs> sponsored the museum. And again, that sort of sums it all up perfectly, is that if it was, if you had a museum in the UK that had a corporate sponsor that was Walls or whatever, a sausage maker, that they wouldn't go as far as to create a mascot for that brand and then have it be a major character through these sci-fi fantasy <laughs> adventures throughout time and space. Uh, with you know, they even had I think one of the airlines, uh, Osaka Kansai Airport, was the sausage airline <laughs> that was landing and taking off. Again, this wonderful mix of the sincere, the incredibly well crafted, and the incredibly dorky. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
And that was Listmas Japan edition sorted. <laughs> I mean, we could still clearly have so much to talk about with Japan. I didn't even go through my top five notebooks from the from the trip <laughs> or my top five pens, uh, let alone capsule machines. But gosh, we only have so much time to record, don't we? We'll be back with, an, with another episode soon with our films of the year and other bits of wrap up. But for now, listeners, thank you so much for joining us through yet another year of podcasting. It's been such a pleasure joining you on this journey and also enjoying a new Hayao Miyazaki film in cinemas. We've had two episodes back to back on The Boy and the Heron and I'm sure we'll be back in January with the dub to talk about and also we'd love to do a mailbag special episode with what you think of the film. Let us know your thoughts and theories via email ghibliatech at gmail.com or you can find us on various social media places. We're on Twitter slash X at ghibliatech. We're on Instagram gibbiatech.pod and you can also pester us all individually jake is on twitter at jake h cunningham and he's on instagram at jake.h.cunningham and steph's on twitter at underscore steph watts michael's on twitter at michael j leader and on instagram at michael.leader thanks for listening Bibliotech is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. Our music is by Anthony Ng. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.